as we continue in our series, The Art of Neighboring. And uh, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that insurance companies, uh, in, in the, you know, kind of the way they sell their things, they always went to make it sound like they are that neighbor right by you, right? They, they, they're, they're your best friend in a time of need. And, and they, they, they kind of play off this uh, good neighbor kind of thing. Uh, and let, let's, if you would, let, let's, let's play a little game. Let's see if you can fill in the blank with this, okay? Uh, yeah, I'm going to start the, the little line. You uh, finish it, okay? You're in good hands with Allstate. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Nationwide is on your side. We are farmers. Oh, come, oh, come on. First service, guys, guys, guys. Some of them are like bum ba dum bum 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 bum, right? Yeah, they they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. I mean, those commercials are hysterical. You get the the guy parks his sports car right in the place like where a bunch of cement is just going to get dumped. I mean, that's just a riot, isn't it? And so, but yeah, they they play off this kind of thing that they, they want to sell their services as being able to be there when you need it. When your life goes sideways, it's helpful to know to realize that you have. Uh, someone big and powerful to help you make your life right again. And sometimes we need to hear that we are in good hands, that someone is on our side, that we have a neighbor there to take care of us. And who, 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 we need to feel that someone is on our side. See, in our city, in our country, there, it seems that we, we grow more and more disconnected each day. We're more divided than ever. And there are those out there who, went, who seem to want to divide us socially, who, who want to divide us economically, racially, politically. They, they, they want to draw lines and see which side, which team are you on. And if you're on the other side, then we can't be for each other. They divide us over and over again. And so in life, we tend to have two options. One, we can either build a bridge over those gaps. We can say, oh yeah, we might be divided over these things, but we can meet somewhere in the middle. We can reach out and we can build a bridge from where we are to where uh, the other side might be. We can either build a bridge or we can make things worse. I mean, it doesn't take too much, too long to kind of scroll through Facebook, to scroll through Twitter, and, and to realize that all of a sudden uh, one comment can blow up into a firestorm of things that maybe you meant or didn't mean to make. I mean, there's arguments and banter back and forth, and I've yet to see anyone's mind truly change over a social media uh, argument. And so we need to be careful because we can either and, and we can end up making things worse. When really, we need to build a bridge to making things to try to help make things better. And see, sometimes it's easy to wonder what difference can I make, right? You're saying that it's, it's, you know there are certain things we can see and we can look and we go, oh man, we have this difficulty, we have that difficulty. What difference can I make? I'm only one, and I've got limited time, and I've got limited resources, I've got limited influence. What difference can I? make? That's a fair question. Because unless you happen to be independently wealthy with, with, with no obligations, we tend to have constraints in our time and resources. There's a finite amount of time and money that we have. We can't be everywhere at all times. We have to kind of pick and choose. And so sometimes, sometimes we assume someone else has more power. Someone else has more influence. Someone else has more money. Someone else has more resources. Someone else has a better answer to that problem. Someone else, someone bigger, someone more influential. And so we wash our hands and go on our way. So sometimes what we do is we end up putting our hope in, in the government. We put our hope in a social program. We put our hope in bureaucracies and, and thinking they can, they can solve these problems for us, but oftentimes they are not enough either. 
The U.S. government has spent enough money to give everyone in poverty in America a middle-class income. Yet hundreds of thousands of people are still in poverty, homeless, and hungry. So if a government that has trillions of dollars can't solve problems, sometimes you can say, how much, how much of a difference can I make? So here's the good news. God doesn't call us to be Superman. Superman is a fictional character. God doesn't call us to be Superman. He just calls us to be ourselves. See, we, aren't, we don't have to be a superhero. We can just be ordinary old us, have an influence, make a difference. Capes and masks are not needed to serve those around us. We can serve people just as we are. And oftentimes, the more ordinary we are, the greater the impact. See, we often say around here that the most necessary ability you need is availability. You don't have to have a special skill set. You don't have to go in through intense training. All we need to do is to be available. And if we're available, it's amazing what God can do through us. So if you were to turn with me to, to Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, the, uh, the story, the parable that we're going to look at today is probably the most famous parable in the entire Bible. If I told you that we were uh, going to read the Good Samaritan, we could, you guys could probably tell me the story. And we could put the pieces together. And if it's not word for word from Scripture, you could at least do it uh, thought by thought, picture by picture, all along the way. But, but it's this beautiful, simple story that Jesus used in response to a question, a, a, a complex theological question about eternal life from an expert in the law. And Jesus responds with this simple story about how to live in the here and now, and his answer completely rocks the man's world. And this is what Luke writes for us. He says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went on their way, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, <clears throat> as he was traveling, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. And then the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, the expert in the law was asking Jesus a question of common theological 
debate. He wanted to see what Jesus, uh, what his answer was. He wanted to test him on this. He wanted to kind of, kind of begin to feel Jesus out. This was the, the Jewish version of the Christian, what does God want to do with my life question, you know? Sometimes you go, what is God's will for my life? What is it that he wants me to do? This was, this, this was their kind of question. It's like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? They believed in afterlife. They believed in a place for, for those who would believe, those who have faith, those who followed God, those who love God. They, they would go to this place after death. And they're like, how do I make sure that I'm on the inside? How do I make sure that I'm on the in crowd? And Jesus responds, Jesus responds in the typical rabbinical way. So the man asks, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response was, hey, how do you read it? How do you read it? You know, he, he was an expert in the law. He knew these things. He had studied. And, and so rather than retracing old steps, he wanted to see what he knew. That way he could either build on top of what the man knew, or he could correct errors in his belief, correct errors in his understanding. So how, how do you read this? And the man responded. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The man had done his homework. I mean, he was an expert in the law. He knew what the law said. He knew what the Old Testament said. He knew these things. And so Jesus said, hey, how do, we, how, do you get into, how do you have eternal life? He's like, well, I think this is a good place to start. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I mean, there's nothing quite like having your work praised by the teacher, right? I mean, you do hard work, you turn your test, you turn your paper, and the teacher in front of the whole class goes, this is exactly what I was looking for, and they highlight your work. Nothing better than that, right? This man's like, you know, yeah, how do you read the law? How, would, how do you think, you, what do you think you should do to inherit eternal life? I think we should love God. I think we should love our neighbor. We should love people as ourselves. Do this and you will live. Do these things. Jesus agrees with the man. But he wasn't done. He, he wanted some clarification because there's some broad words in there, especially that, that neighbor one. He's like, who, who is my neighbor? I, 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 want, you know, I understand love God, love God with my entire being. I, I, I get that. And that's difficult. I, 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 you know, I do that as best I can. But, but, but who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? We want to justify himself. See, the interesting thing about neighbors is often we want to limit to those who live right around us, right? Well, my neighbor over here, uh, my neighbor on this side, my neighbor behind me, my neighbor across the street. We, we often want to limit our neighbors to those who live right around us. Or maybe we will limit to those uh, who have people who have uh, we have things in common with, things people that we we like. And so this expert in the law was seeking to justify himself. He wanted to limit the pool of candidates for those whom he had to love. Like really, if I want to inherit eternal life, who are the ones that I really, really have to love? So he wants to know, who is the object of my love? Who is that person? Who, who are all the ones I need to make sure that I love? Because there's got to be somebody I don't have to, Right? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. And he, he, the word parable is to, 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 to cast alongside. So he takes this story and he casts alongside this teaching of loving God and loving people. And he talks about this man. 
And you know the story. The man travels from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho. It's downhill. Maybe you know, you guys remember that this is a dangerous road. They would often call it the way of blood because there was a lot of rocky outcropping places that, 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 that bad people, robbers, could hide behind and surprise people and, and jump out and, 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 and steal all their stuff. And so oftentimes people would travel in packs. There's strength in numbers. And so if they traveled in a large group, they could travel along this way in much more, much greater safety. But this man, he's traveling by himself. He becomes an easy target for these robbers. And as he's walking on the way, they jump, they come out, they jump him, they beat him, they strip him, they take all of his things, and they leave him for dead on the side of the road. Along the way, a priest comes down the road. <clears throat> priest, he's you know, a leader in the church, he's of the tribe of Aaron, he's an important person in the temple. As he comes along, he, you know, he, being a Jewish man, we assume that the man who's traveling down the road, he too was a Jewish man, and so they have, they're the same nationality. They're, they're brothers, they're family, and he sees the man, and you think, oh, of course he's going to stop for family, right? He sees the man on the side of the road, passes by on the other side. It says he saw him. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't see that accident on the side of the road. I didn't see that person. No, it said he saw him. He saw the condition he was in, and he walked by, and he might have said, hey, you know what? If he's dead and I touch him, then I become unclean, but he's probably going from Jerusalem down to Jericho as well. He's going away from the temple. He'll have plenty of time to go through whatever ceremonial cleanliness ritual that he would need to go through. It leaves the man on the side of the road. A Levite, another uh, Jewish man, he's coming down the road as well, and he too sees the man. I mean, the man is there. He doesn't miss him. He sees him and sees his condition. He walks by on the other side of the road as well. These two men of similar Jewish background, they fail to render aid. They fail to be a neighbor because getting involved can be costly. Getting involved, sometimes we might feel that investment is just too high. But to refuse to help is kind of amount to moral failure. Jesus talked about a third man. Third man comes down the road. Jesus makes note that this man is a Samaritan. And over the last several weeks, we've talked about the tension between Jews and Samaritans, how there was a, this racial tension between them. Uh, and, and, and so all of a sudden, all the people in the crowd are hearing this, and they're going, oh, oh, that's Samaritan. They're thinking, that's the bad guy. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he comes on the road. He sees the man. What's he do? He gets off of his donkey. He stops. He sees him. He goes to him, and he cares for him. In fact, Scripture says he does six things for the man. He comes to the man. He binds his wounds. He anoints them with oil. He loads him on his own mule. He takes him to an inn to care for him, and then he pays the bill. He pays the bill. Someone figured out the, the, the amount of money that he, the, the man left the innkeeper and about the approximate cost of uh, a stay at an inn during the first century, and it said that this man could have stayed at the inn for about three and a half weeks. Anyone out there got money so I can stay in a hotel for three and a half weeks? I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's a big stack of cash that this guy drops off. He doesn't know the man. He doesn't know the man. He goes, he goes I, I, I saw him, and he's hurt, and I just did what I knew needed to be done. He meets the man where he's at, and he cares for him. And then Jesus asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hand of robbers. Which one? Which one was a neighbor? Which one did the right thing? Which one, which one obeyed? You know, which one literally became a neighbor? Because see, becoming a neighbor is much less about the individual. It's much less about the location. It's much more about behaving a particular way towards a person you come in contact with. And it would have killed the expert in the law to, say, to use the description that Jesus used for the, for the hero of the story. I mean, it's obvious. It's the Samaritan. But this man, he cannot bring himself to say Samaritan. He cannot bring himself to say, the, to utter the name of his enemy. And so he responds, the one who had mercy on him. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. It was that other guy. It was the one who shall not be named. The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy. Jesus said, go and do Go and do likewise. Simply go and be a neighbor. And don't rule anyone out as a neighbor. Which kind of takes us back to the original question and answer, doesn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? We need to love God. We need to love God with the entirety of our being. We need to love God wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, with everything we have. It's a very holistic thing with our mind, body, soul, strength, whatever the, your version, your, your, your translation of, of the Bible might use any number of different words that, respond, that really describe the a holistic approach to loving God. With everything that he's given us in our person, we are to love God. But much more than loving God, you see, we're designed to love and to, to, to love well. We must love the right people. And so the product of our love for God will, show, will be displayed in our regard for others who are made in his image. The product of our love for God will be displayed by our regard for others who are made in his image. God gave us others as neighbors. See, having correct theology, having the right doctrine alone is insufficient for eternal life. In fact, if we do not do what we know to be right, then all of our correct answers to Bible questions will not get us any closer to the kingdom of God. And so truly, truly, could it be as simple as just loving our neighbor? Could loving our neighbor really change the world? Could it really change the world right around us? See, the fact is, Christians are often really good sounding like Jesus, but oftentimes we have a hard time acting like Jesus. Oh, it's really easy for us to sound like Jesus and for us to quote this verse and that verse, but it's far more difficult, far more different when we try to act like him. So what if, what, what if we started an experiment, a radical experiment? of truly loving our neighbors as Jesus taught us? What if we really loved our neighbors just like Jesus taught us? Because see, if we read ourselves into this encounter, if we read ourselves into our story today, we are not the man beaten up by robbers. None of us have endured that kind of persecution. We are not the man beaten up by robbers. We are not the priest or the Levite or even the Samaritan. We're not, we're, we're not that person in the story either. We're not the innkeeper. We're certainly not Jesus, right? 
See, we're, we're the expert in the law. See, many of us, we know the right thing, but oftentimes we try to justify our own actions, right? We try to justify ourselves against us. Well, I do more than that person. I, I, I'm better than that. I, I, I'm not quite all the way there, but I'm better than, and we get, grade ourselves on the curve. See, we're the expert in the law asking the question, because we want to be justified for not getting involved. Schedules are too busy. That situation is just too messy. We fear rejection. We fear misunderstandings. We fear prejudice. See, what's tearing at our hearts, what holds us back is sin. What holds us back is sin. And when sin is in our life, what it does is it stops God's love. It stops the flow of God's love from going through us to others. For we can't truly love others appropriately. We can't love each other, uh, love others best when sin is involved in our life. Because sin, sin prohibits God, the flow of God's love from us to others. And we begin to think with a scarcity mindset. We begin to think, man, if I start showing God's love to others, there won't be enough of God's love for me. And if God has to start loving them as well, God won't have enough love for me because God's only got so much love. God does not run out of love, people. And so actually, the more the more we can help others love God, the more of God's love we will experience in our life. It's not a scarcity mindset. It's an abundance mindset. So a lot of times we start beginning to think there won't be enough to go around for me if, we, if I have to start loving them as well. We get selfish. But really, the reason we're able to love at all is because God first loved us. John wrote to his church, he wrote this, he said, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we write ourselves into a story a different way, we are the man beaten on the side of the road and left for dead because sin has beaten us. It's pummeled us. It's left us for dead because what sin does is sin seeks to destroy. Sin seeks to destroy us. And as we were going, traveling down this road, as we were going about our way, we fell into the hands of we, we We fell to sin, and we do so often. But the religious will walk by and cast a degrading eye. But Jesus came as a Samaritan. And he, he was the outsider, and he sees us in our time of need. He got off of his donkey. He came down. He came to us, and he met us where we are at. He didn't say, well, he's got to at least get up off on his own and dust himself off before. No. He met us in our mess. He met us in our hurt. He met us while we were still sinners. He came and died for us. See, this is God's love. Not that we love ourselves, but that God loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God went first. Not only did God love us like that, but he became our neighbor. I love the way that Eugene Peterson writes this, writes it in the message, uh, John 1.14. He, he writes it this way. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like the father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus didn't have to leave heaven for earth. But he went first. 
We can be, we can love our neighbors because God, because Jesus moved into our neighborhood and loved us like a neighbor. He met us where we were at. He served us where we were at. We didn't have to get cleaned up. We didn't have to make ourselves right. He loved us in spite of. And when we respond in faith, when we submit to him in baptism, we are given new life in Jesus. And the Spirit lives in our lives. And when the Spirit of God is in us, it restores us to relationship with Jesus. It restores us to relationship with the Father. And God uses uh, the, the, healing, the, the healing of the broken places in our life to extend His love to others, to heal the broken world around us. See, the gospel, the good news, is not just for us alone. It's always been for the next person. It's always been meant to be passed, passed along from one person to another, from one Heal from one person who's been healed to another, from one broken person to another. It's always been meant to be passed along, to be shared with the next person. Just like hurting people hurt people, found people find people. And we ought to always be on the lookout for the lost and the hurting in our communities to help them find the love and forgiveness that's in Jesus. You might be thinking, Mike, this loving our neighbor thing, this sounds like the answer. It sounds like the thing that we should be doing. Jesus taught it. It seems like it's the right thing, but but how? How do I do this? How can I accomplish this? How can we do this in our world, in our place? How? How can we make this happen? And I think Andy Stanley may have said it best when he said it this way. When you're not sure what to say or do, just love like God through Christ loved you. When you don't know what to say or do, just love like God through Christ loved you. If you, didn't go, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, get this, that when you don't know what to say or do, just love like God through Christ loved you. See, to do this, the man had to have compassion on the man. He had, to, he had to, to love him as he knew to love. See, when we find ourselves like this, when we find ourselves thinking, how can I be a good neighbor? What is it that I should do? And see, to be a good neighbor, the first thing we need to do is to notice the need. We notice the need. That's the first thing. You know, we're, this is a call to live with our eyes wide open. The man is traveling down the road. And he's looking at the sights. He's probably keeping his eyes open, being aware of other robbers, other bad people around. And as he comes down the hills, he comes down the mountain, he sees this man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. He notices him. He sees him. And when he came to him, he saw him and he had compassion on him. And when he had compassion on him, he had to get involved in the man's life. He doesn't know the man's name. He doesn't know his family. He doesn't know if they have similar interests. He doesn't even know if they agree politically on anything in, in, the, in their day. But all he sees is he sees a man in need. And what he does, what he does is he gets off of his donkey. He gets off of his mule. And he goes to him and he cares for him. He meets him in his mess. He notices the need. All, all he knew is that this man needed help and he had something to offer. See, to notice the need... We must see people not as a problem or as a group or as a race or as a class, but as people loved by God and in need of his love. 
See, this will require us to talk less about people and far more with people. It requires us to talk less about people and a lot more with people. And by going to the man, the Samaritan saw this man, though wounded, was worthy of value, was worthy of his time, and was worthy of his attention. See, we are not loved because we have value. We are valued because we are loved. We are not loved because we are valued. We, we don't have to earn some sort of value. We don't have to earn some sort of position for God to love us. No, no, no. Our value is in the very fact that God already loves us. And the world around us, they think they're, they're, they're chasing after uh, all sorts of things to, to, to prove their value, to prove their worth. But really, they already have all the value they ever need. And we just need to help them realize that they already have value because God has already loved them. See, this man was busy. He had places to go, just like the priest, just like the Levite. He could have gone on his way because he faced the same risk as all the other travelers. And by traveling most likely alone, he was a sitting duck as well. But in spite of all these obstacles, what did he do? He slowed down long enough to notice the need. And he paused. And he took stock of the situation. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. And then he was a good neighbor because he got involved. We got to get involved. If we want to be a good neighbor, we need to get involved. He, he doesn't just pass by and go, oh man, I'm sorry for your luck. He gets off of his donkey. He gets his hands dirty. He enters the man's mess. See, this kind of love can't stay at arm's length. It can't stay at a distance. He had to get involved. So Jesus uses this story to challenge us to take tangible steps for our neighbors in need, to show them mercy. <clears throat> and when we show mercy and compassion, we begin to give out of the overflow of what we have already received. We don't look to our own interests, but we give to others because of, out of interest of them. We give ourselves to others. See, the whole time, this expert in the law has been very, very concerned about who he should love. Who should I love? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus was not very concerned about who he should love. He was very much more concerned about the lover, the one giving the love. He was much more concerned about the man, not who he was loving. The man was very, the expert wanted to know who he needed to love, and Jesus showed us that we need to love those around us no matter who they are. No matter who they are. See, we can't sit on our hands and watch the world go by. We must get personally and practically involved in the messy work of caring for our neighbors. See, if we want to overcome the division and the hate in our society, it will not be done with a slogan. It won't be done with an elected official. But it will only be accomplished when we follow the example of the Samaritan. When we love our neighbors like God through Christ has loved us. See, many of the major changes, many major challenges in our society could be cured through minor acts of kindness. Many of the major things in our world that need to be changed could be uh, solved through minor acts of kindness, through small investments of time and money, <coughs> Bless me. <clears throat> if we invested in the lives of those who are around us, those who we see, those who we know. See, if we want to love our neighbors, it will all cost us something. It will cost us far more 
if we don't do anything. It costs us far more if we don't do anything. So the, the small price that I might pay to love those who are around us is a small price to pay compared to the price that we paid if we just sit by and do nothing. See, Jesus didn't just say loving, being a good neighbor was a good idea. He didn't say, oh, this is something you guys should consider. It'd be a good idea for you to think about. No, Jesus makes it our spiritual mandate. He makes it our calling. He makes it our responsibility. That if we do not love our neighbor, we should question our love for God. That if we do not love our neighbor, if we don't love those who are around us, we should question our love for God because words are not enough. It must be shown with action. So how do we begin to be a good neighbor actively? How do we begin to put these put this into a next step. How do, we, how do we begin to put this into practice? And the first thing you should do to be a good neighbor is we need to meet your neighbors. You need to meet your neighbor. Who are those around you? Who are those who live around you? Maybe you know them. Maybe, okay, I know, you know they live here. They, you know, these are my, my backdoor neighbors. These are my neighbors across the street. These are the neighbors here, the neighbors there. Maybe you already know them. But maybe you don't. And looking at the weather this week, it looks like we're going to have some beautiful fall evenings and maybe a good time to go take a walk and knock on a door to and introduce yourself to some friends and introduce yourself to some neighbors. Maybe it's time for us to begin to play in the front yard and make ourselves more visible again. And as we get to know them, we can begin to have conversation with them. We can listen to their heart and hear their needs. And as we begin to make this list of needs, it can lead us to the second thing that we can do. Maybe we need to meet our neighbors, but to be a good neighbor, we can... Pray for our neighbors. We can pray for our neighbors. And maybe I've got a lot of neighbors around me. I don't know their names. I'm not very good with names. You can begin to already pray for your neighbors by name. You see there's a website there called Bless Every Home. And every day, Monday through Friday, I get this little email, and it's just different names and addresses of people around my neighborhood. They offer, you know, there's like a list of five or six names, and there's a little sample prayer at the bottom. You don't even have to pray anything deep or spiritual. You can just, hey, I'm just kind of read that thing and just pray that God's heart would begin to soften their heart. Maybe open up a door for you to have conversation with them. And wouldn't it be awesome if we, if we go to that website and we can see all these different neighborhoods that we live in covered by prayers that we are praying for our neighbors. And as we pray for them, that God would open up their heart to hear his word. Maybe he opens up our heart to share with them, to invite them to something like the harvest party, to, to be involved, you know, be able to hear their need and get involved in, in, the, in the, the different struggles that they may be going through, that we can show them God's love in a practical, tangible way. Maybe as you hear their heart, you are like, Mike, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know, understand how to, how to do that. Maybe you know someone else who does, and you can begin to connect friends to friends, and, and they begin to see God's love flowing, flowing through God's people, and they be able to find God's grace and God's forgiveness because we were kind enough to have compassion on our neighbor. Maybe you'll get stuck. Maybe you'll get stuck, and you won't know what to do. And that's okay. Because when you don't know what to say or do, just love like God through Christ. Loved you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you loved us. In the depths of our hurt, in the depths of our despair, that you cared for us and you met us in our mess, in our hurt, in our pain. 
you gave us the best of gifts. The best gift of all came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Father, as Jesus grew and he taught us your way and showed us your way and showed us your love, Father, ultimately led him to the cross to die for our sins, to die in our place, take our punishment upon his shoulders. That our sin, the price of our sin would be paid for. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so much. You met us where we were at. at. Father, I pray that you would work through our lives in the lives of those around us that they may see and hear and know of your love for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to love our neighbors no matter who they are, no matter what their background, their name, with their beliefs, that, Father, we can show them your love in a clear, tangible, and practical way. Father, for some of us, I mean, you might need to break our spirit. Father, we might have some walls built up in our life. Father, you might need to do some work on us before we can begin to build bridges into other people's worlds. So, Father, would you humble us? Would you bring your truth to life in our life? That others would see you and your glory and your holiness and your perfection as we seek to follow you. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be a superhero. We can just be ordinary. We can just be one. That through our availability to be open to you, that you can use us to bring your light to this world. Help us to love this world. Love those around us, just like you loved us in your son Jesus. In his name I pray.